Welcome to the OnFIF podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFIF podcast. This is Burhan Kabbai, Head of Content at OnFIF Sovereign Debt Institute. And in this podcast, we'll be analysing the recent record-breaking debt for nature swap transaction by Ecuador. In May, Ecuador swapped 1.6 billion of nominal dollar bonds at a discount, saving over 1 billion in debt servicing costs, and then issued a new 656 million loan to final investments for the conservation of the Galapagos Islands. It was the world's largest ever debt financial swap transaction. And with me to discuss this is Joan Pratt, lead financial specialist at the Inter-American Development Bank, who played a key role in this transaction. Firstly, Joan, thanks for joining me. We'll go into the, the role that the IDB played in the transaction, but I think it'll be interesting first to unpack the transaction. But before that as well, it'd be quite helpful for our listeners who might not all be familiar with what a debt financial swap is. So could you first briefly explain this mechanism and how it works? Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Uh, Debt for Nature swaps came uh, in the last few years as a, one of the important tools that governments have in the sustainable finance spectrum. Debt for Nature swaps are basically a mechanism to buy back more expensive debt in order to generate savings for conservation. And those savings are used through a conservation trust fund that creates uh, the robust mechanism, governance mechanism, to use those funds to achieve certain conservation outcomes. And there is an incentive mechanism attached to that in the sense that, similar to sustainability linked bonds, if those outcomes are not met through the different milestones that are needed, then there are associated penalties that need to be directed to the trust fund in order for the country to achieve those very same conservation outcomes. So that's the basic setup of a debt for nature swap. A final comment is that it requires a credit enhancement. So the country is able to issue a first blue loan or a thematic loan that it's issued at better terms and conditions and provides for the savings related to the buyback that I just explained. Okay, thank you. And what were the main features of the Ecuador transaction? What were the main highlights? I mentioned at the start it was a, as a record-breaking transaction in terms of the size of the of the debt for nature swap. But what were the highlights working on this transaction? The first highlight is the strong conservation commitment made by the government to increase the Galapagos Marine Reserve by sixty thousand square kilometers. The second major highlight is the credit enhancement provided. It's a new structure that combines a political risk insurance by Development Finance Corporation of 656 million with an IDB guarantee of 85 million. And the third part, it would be the creation of a Galapagos Life Fund, that it's a public-private partnership among NGOs, the government, and universities as well, so to track the funds through a very robust team of things. And finally, the, the last major thing is that it's it's been the biggest so far. So the amounts involved are, are pretty substantial and they allowed for both strong conservation savings and a strong fiscal savings as well. Okay, thank you. You mentioned it's, it's the first time in this transaction for a definitive swap that a multilateral institution has combined 
uh, guarantees with political risk insurance with, with the US Development Finance Corporation, as you mentioned, providing the political risk insurance and the IDB providing a, a credit guarantee, which I guess makes the loan uh, less risky, basically, right? Exactly. It's basically substituting the risk of Ecuador by the risk of the US, because Development Finance Corporation is a US-based institution. It doesn't reach, finally, the credit rating of the US because it's a political risk insurance, which is a little bit different than a guarantee, but it substantially creates enhances the risk of the government. At the end, the bond was a double A rated. So, and that is combined with a guarantee from the IDB, which makes the transaction more efficient in terms of funds for the government that can be directed to the transaction itself. In the previous transaction done in Belize, the Development Finance Corporation required to create a reserve account, which was quite important, basically two years of that service plus expenses. And that is not required in this transaction due to the IDB guarantee, which obviously generates more money that can be directed to buy back more debt, generate more savings that given the price at which the bonds were finally bought, represent a lot of money for conservation and developmental outcomes at the end of the day. So these and other structural nuances in these transactions makes it more efficient than previous transactions. And we are very happy with that. And does that framework with the with the combined guarantees is, is that a good sort of model going forward for this debt nature swap product? Sure, I think the basic principle is that collaboration among institutions that provide credit enhancement instruments is going to be needed in the future in order to gain the scale and the scope that this type of instruments will need given the challenges at hand. So that's the first thing. And we can combine it with Development Finance Corporation as we did in Ecuador, but we also can combine it with the Nature Conservancy as we did in Barbados last year in 2022. So this type of instruments bring the possibility of blending together different actors in providing credit enhancement. So that's important. That's a, I think it's a general principle that it's important. And obviously this solution, we can scale it and we can provide it for different countries. But another point I want to make is that every single transaction needs to be structured in a specific way. We are also in the structured finance world directed to sustainability finance. So more innovation and more efficiencies are gained if we tailor the solutions to the specific countries and the specific projects at the same time. Okay, and how important is it for MDBs to be involved in such transactions? I guess there's other elements to it as well in terms of the impartiality, helping to balance the different actors' objectives in complicated structures like these transactions, as well as providing sort of financial and technical advice as well. That's correct, and that's very important. Up until now, these transactions took a lot of time to put together. And uh, part of the difficulties were the dialogue among public sovereign entity and private international partners, right? Obviously, there are 
difficulties when you deal with natural sovereign assets. Having a third party in place with no conflict of interest and that can be an honest broker among parties. And we as a, at the same time have the government as our client, but we have a international development oriented policy results, right? So we can broker this type of transactions more efficiently and at the same time make them happen faster because we can harmonize and coordinate different actors in a more efficient way. Yeah, because these could be quite lengthy and complicated deals. I think those are some of the challenges. I think the Belize transaction took some time. I think with, with the Ecuador transaction, I think this was sped up, like, like you said. And what was the, did the Belize transaction, did that provide a model for the Ecuador debt to swap to a certain extent? Yeah, to a certain extent it did, but again, it's different in the structuring. So as I mentioned, the combination of credit enhancements, also when you go to the nuances of how the guarantee and the PRI work are different in terms of coverage, which for example, not covering interest makes the whole structure more efficient at the same time. But the general principle of having a PRI to facilitate a credit, a credit enhancement and a debt for nature swap uh, remains. So an important thing is we are building a template and a standardizing documentation and helping to streamline all the processes and the dialogue that needs to happen to put these transactions in place so we kind of help to new players to come into this type of transactions and at the same time to make them more robust and more transparent also to the world right and, and make it more more compelling if you want the case for using this type of instruments in the near future with these transactions is, is timing quite important you know with the ecuador transaction was that accelerated by a drop in Ecuador's government bond prices? Or would, the, would this sort of transaction have happened anyway? No, these transactions are robust. Different evolutions in the price of bonds, right? Obviously, you need the deeper discount, better the savings are going to be, obviously. But besides that, what is important, and we always stress, is that the important part of the savings are those that are going to go to conservation, and that needs to be really clear and really addressed from the beginning. And there needs to be a costing exercise and a management plan to deal with the conservation aspect of the transaction. Then there is a market aspect of the transaction. And obviously there needs to be a market participation and there's a market intervention at the end of the day and you need to time it, but it is not an opportunistic transaction. It is not something yeah, that you do to beat the market, but you do because it makes a structural sense from a conservation and an asset liability management perspective. Okay. I mentioned there's the new blue loan, the Galapagos loan will, will go into uh, investments into the conservation of the Galapagos Islands. Do, do you think there needs to be a specific environmental asset for these transactions, like the Ecuador transaction, as I mentioned, the, the investments that will go towards the, the conservation of the Galapagos Islands or or like the Barbados transaction where 
I don't think there was a specific environmental asset, but 100% from the debt servicing costs went towards conservation investment. So what do you think about that? Here, the important thing is to have very ambitious conservation goals. In the case of Barbados, it was to protect 30% of its marine area, which is substantial, and it's aligned with international standards. In the case of Ecuador, it was to increase its marine reserve in 60,000 square kilometers. How to manage that ambition and how to provide for enough funds to do that for the next 40 years, it's what is important. And to have credible management plans and to have the adequate incentives along the way and monitoring and verification type of instruments at hand. So all that is what it's, it's embedded in this type of transaction. And I think it's why they, they bring so much to the countries, right? Yes, and you mentioned the KPIs and the penalties associated with these, with these transactions. Could you sort of outline the KPIs, the targets, and what the penalties are for, for this debt to swap? Yeah, without entering too much into the specifics, the KPIs are associated with the important things that are required for the preservation of the marine reserve. So related to fishing aggregated devices, monitoring devices in vessels, and all that type of uh, technical stuff. And that needs to be met in a certain specific deadlines. And if not, there are substantial penalties that are aligned with international standards in terms of penalties that, for example, you see in sustainable link bonds. And we've, met, we've talked a lot about the, the benefits of these, of these transactions, how effective they are. We've you know, we, you know, mentioned here off Ecuador, saving over a billion dollars in, in borrowing costs and debt servicing costs, and how effective they are in terms of the, addressing the twofold challenges of debt burdens and environmental concerns too. But what are the, what are the challenges of, of these transactions? I guess we touched on a little bit here in terms of how they can be quite time-consuming. Uh, I guess they can be quite costly transactions as well. But what, what are the other challenges? I think the main challenge is to, for governments to have a clear vision and leadership around conservation and seeing natural assets as a invaluable capital assets of a country, right? And to see long-term, you know, um, the whole point of these transactions is locking in money for the next 40 years for protecting natural capital in, in a given country. And that requires vision and leadership. And this is done because countries, unfortunately, are subject to urgent social needs. And these type of transactions try to isolate a little bit and lock in money for natural capital that otherwise would not resist the pressures that economic cycles generate within government budgets. So having a vision to do that, it's important and building the governance required for that to be credible enough, it's also instrumental. And these, these transactions, that they need to swap transactions, I guess are quite key, a part of IADB's strategy of you know, deploying innovative financing solutions for uh, sustainable development. 
are you working on uh, more such transactions? Yeah, definitely. We there is a growing interest in um, sovereign sustainable instruments in general, and these type of transactions are within the toolkit that debt managers are increasingly contemplating for them to be able to combine debt management with sustainable outcomes. And uh, we are exploring different type of potential transactions in the region. Also, please consider that Latin American and the Caribbean, it's probably the most biodiverse and one of the main natural capital assets in the world. So we have a, a real important challenge at hand and definitely it's one of the things that we will be taking in consideration in, in the next years. And why is it becoming more attractive now? I mean, these transactions have been around for quite a while, but they're recently sort of gaining traction, particularly say in Latin America. What, what's the reason behind that? I think if you look at the, all the toolkit of the debt managers are used to have, so bond issuance, liability management, or hedges, all three are geared now towards including sustainability consideration. So in bonds, you have thematic or sustainability linked bonds. In asset liability, now you have debt for nature conversions. And in hedges, now you have natural disasters insurance, hurricane clauses, pandemic clauses, contingent disasters lines. So all the toolkit that traditionally had the debt manager, now it's being remodeled to include these sustainability objectives, which is logical given the problem at hand, right? And what are your thoughts on debt for social swap? I think Ecuador is looking at such a transaction. Do you think this is a natural follow-up from debt for nature swaps? Definitely, there is a, an interesting complementarity to have this type of instruments, not only directed to climate or biodiversity, but also other sustainable development goals. So I think every goal, it will have its own nuances. I mean, it's not the same, probably it's not the same governance structure that you need to create to address educational or health issues that the one that you need to provide for biodiversity services. But the general principle of having debt management instruments for nature applies for having debt management instruments for other social outcomes, which are, again, as urgent and important as biodiversity in the region. And here it's important, very important, in fact, to, to remind the, the words of Macron and, and other leaders in the last summit in uh, mentioning that no country should be forced to choose among climate and education, for example, or social. So part of the story is trying to do exactly that. And for that, it's important to have this type of instrument and to bring as many international partners as possible. And how would a debt for social swap transaction be structured differently to a debt for nature swap? Would it just be the social KPI linked to it rather than environmental KPIs? 
yeah, that's a very important aspect of it. And the other important aspect would be the governance mechanism that should be created, right? And how that would exactly work probably will depend on the educational issue that you are trying to address. So probably it's not the same to address higher education than child type of education, but I'm not an expert in education, so or as many social issues. So we will need to bring the social experts and have a conversation with them. And here again, it's a, this is a very important topic I want to raise. Uh, this is not an effort that is done by capital markets and finance only, that it's the division I work on, but it's a cross-sectional type of effort. So it is very important to coordinate with subject matter experts in biodiversity. You already spoke with Greg Watson, and he's been co-leader with me in all these type of transactions. And we will have to do the same thing if we address other sectors to, to build internal required coordination and the international alliance that are necessary also to put these transactions together. Okay, thank you, Joan. That's been, it's been great to speak to you. A very good overview of Ecuador detonator swap transaction, uh, the details, uh, the effectiveness of such transaction, as well as the challenges and, and the IDB's important role in these transactions as well. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me and thank you for putting a podcast to discuss these issues. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast.